Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week we're making a close inspection of Psalm 103, verse 12. And if we understand it as we look word by word, do we believe what it says? Something to think about, so let's take a look. So it's kind of interesting uh, phenomenon that happens with me where it seems like everything I do starts to turn into a series. And what I mean by that is, again, in the in the writing sphere, the book that I've recently finished and we're going to be set to publish here in the next two months or so originally started as a standalone. And then as I you know, started writing it, I kind of realized like this is going to turn into a series. And even with this podcast, these episodes were intended to kind of be individual standalone episodes. I was just going to have a whole series of topics. We're just going to go through one by one. And then as I started doing it, I kind of realized that they, a lot of them can be arranged in kind of a series of similar themes, or it's a developing theme where the first episode begins a topic and then there are three or four or five additional episodes that sort of continue to build on what we learn from that first episode. And so that's going to kind of happen. So the, the topic for next week that we're going to look at is going to kind of tie into the one we just did a week ago. In that episode, I started talking about God being the source of or that, that he creates the destroyer. And so we are, I mentioned in that episode too, that, you know, there was a whole lot to potentially get into there, but we didn't really have the time. We are going to go ahead and get into it next week. And then we're going to kind of continue along the theme of temptation and sin and things like that for the next couple of weeks. And then I do already have a whole nother series where we're going to get as political as we'll ever get on this podcast. But again, that's, that's a ways down the road. So something to either dread or to look forward to, we will be doing it in a very obviously Bible focused manner when we start looking at politics and things like that. We're not going to, we're not going to start picking sides and um, certainly not political sides. And we're not going to go into like individual policies by anyone and discuss whether they're right or not, or who you should vote for anything like that. But we are going to start, we're going to, we're going to look at politics a little bit from a scriptural point of view. But anyway, for this week, since I kind of announced it already, and I, I am really excited to do this one, and kind of it does tie in as well to our topic of sin and the consequences of sin. But it's something that I believe it in principle, and the it feels theologically sound as I think about it. But the words that I use to describe it sometimes seem a little a little crazy. So let's get into it. As I said in the intro, our verse. For this week, we're starting with one verse. We are going to go look at a couple other ones, again, going through the New Testament to see that this is not just an Old Testament promise given to the ancient Israelites, but it carries through to today. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, there is a geographical oddity to our world. And I don't know if that's really the right term for it. I've been trying to think of what we would call it, but there's this this reality that exists that was brought to my attention some time ago. Maybe you've thought of it. I had never thought of it this way before. But if you start at your home, wherever it is that you live, and you want to go north, and let's say you you are going to use a compass to do this with, and you're going to hold that compass, and you're going to look and see that the arrow points to the north. 
if we you know are familiar with how compasses work, the needle will point to the north. It'll it will indicate if you are looking for the north, that arrow because of where it's pointing will tell you north is this way. And so if you keep walking in a straight line as much as you can with this compass and following the arrow, follow it again, depending on where you live, maybe miles and miles, heading for the north at some point when you're very, very cold <laughs> and there's not a whole lot around you except for snow. If you keep walking in a straight line with that needle telling you north is the direction that you're heading, at some point that needle is suddenly going to swing around and point behind you. Even though you're still walking in a straight line, you have not changed course, but all of a sudden, because you've passed the North Pole, you are heading south. So again, you started out at your house, you drew a straight line, walked to the north at some point, all of a sudden, you are walking south, even though you have not changed direction in the slightest. And if you were to turn around and start walking back the way you came, trying to you know trying to walk your way back to the north, eventually it would swing around again, even though you had not changed course or turned around yourself, it would swing around and point behind you and tell you that north was behind you. And then if you would continue, eventually, you know, the needle's pointing behind you saying north is behind you, which would then indicate that south is in front of you. And if you walk in a straight line for long enough, if you could, you know, we'll take into account that you're sailing when you need to. But eventually, once again, even though you are walking a straight line, that needle is going to swing around and you'll be walking north, even though you had not changed direction. So at some point, after circling the globe twice, you will arrive back at your house after walking that straight line all the way around the world. And if you get back to your house and you say, okay, I'm going to walk to the east, you would turn and by the fact of the arrow pointing to your left, the compass will indicate to you that east is in front of you. And here's the thing. You can walk forever for your entire life. And if you're walking in a straight line, and you're not slowly like circling your way down down the globe, you're actually managed to walk a perfectly straight line around the world, the compass will always tell you that east is in front of you and west is behind you. Now, in our world, culturally, we say that east is kind of China, Japan, those countries. West is Europe, the United States. But that is culturally. And again, that came from a time when the Middle East was kind of Rome, especially and uh, Constantinople was the center of the world, and the world was flat at that time. So that is where the concept of east is one way and west is the other. And so it can be very easy, again, to read that verse and think, okay, well, east and west are just really, really far apart. Again, all scriptures, God breathed. And so God knew at that point that east as a direction is infinitely far away from west. So we might think about it this way. North and south are far apart indeed, and it would take months if you were walking to get from one to the other, but their distance can be measured. But east and west, you could walk in a straight line forever, and that compass needle will always tell you that east is in front of you and west is behind you. So God, through the psalmist, has promised us that he has removed our transgressions infinitely far away from us, that even if we set out to reach them, they will always be further ahead of us. If we had some sort of transgression compass pointing the way we could follow it indefinitely and we would never get to where our sins are the second fascinating thing about this verse is that it says that god has removed our transgressions from us not the guilt not the condemnation not the verdict of the court but the very act itself again i'm not a hebrew scholar but as near as i could tell from studying this out the transgression refers to the act itself 
And if you're familiar with crime dramas or the court system, you know what an alibi is, which is what we're talking about, given the topic of this, this episode. An alibi is when a suspect in a crime is able to prove that they were not in the vicinity when the crime was being committed. It is the easiest way to remove yourself from suspicion. It's one of the earliest questions that detectives or police officers will ask is where were you on the night of the murder? And if you can prove that you were somewhere else, then you are innocent. It is, as we've just said, the absolute golden proof of innocence. So God, by removing our transgression, allows us to say when accused by Satan, I did not commit that sin, that crime, because I was not in the vicinity of it. Not because I had actually not committed it, but that because God has taken our involvement in it away, so far away that we could walk after it for an eternity and never reach it. Now you might say, but I do remember doing it. It was me that did it. This is where living by faith and not by sight comes into play because this is the truth of part of the truth of the gospel, one of the truths. And we're going to look into this a little further, but we do have a part to play in this process. First John 1 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we need to understand that what we did was a sin, first and foremost. If we think that we were right or justified, or maybe that it wasn't as bad of a sin as other people have committed, then we are still clinging to it. It would be like admitting to the police that we did what they accused us of, but that it was actually no crime and unpunishable under the law. And we would go to court if we tried to maintain that. And they will read from the law and convict us, and we will remain in our guilt as long as we maintain our innocence. But God does not work as the courts do, and as soon as we admit our guilt, he makes you innocent through the blood of Christ. But where, you may ask, does this transgression go? How is it no longer in my vicinity, but so far removed that I can't get to it? First Peter 2.24 says, He himself, speaking of Christ, bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So when we admit our guilt, God takes it and puts it on Jesus, now nearly 2,000 years ago. We can't get there, not physically. God takes all the confessed sins of everybody everywhere and puts them in one place, in one time, unattainable now by all. Even those who were there watching have since moved on in time, and any sin they committed before or after was taken and put there where they can no longer get it. If God had put them only in a physical place, then we could revisit them. But by locking them also into a moment in time, they are forever out of reach. So God is our ironclad alibi whenever the devil tries to condemn us. Now, you may still think this is impossible, that whatever it is that you've done, you've done. Consider this also a fairly famous verse. We've probably heard it at a wedding, if we've ever been to one. 1 Corinthians 13.1 says, Love keeps no record of wrongs. 1 John 4.8 says that God is love, so God keeps no record of wrongs. So if there's no record, according to God, who will judge, then where is the sin? If Satan says, remember when you did this, you can say, gee, no, because, see, I confessed that to God and is gone from his record. So what exactly is it you're talking about? As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We need to work this so far into our minds that it makes it into our hearts and live in the freedom of true innocence that only God can provide. Again, I hope this has been helpful and has been an encouragement. And next week, 
we're going to look at the source of temptation again, starting with the verse in Isaiah that we looked at last week and trying to wrestle with the idea that God is the one who creates the blacksmith, who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work. This could be a very difficult and troubling topic, but I believe I have some verses to encourage us and to help us understand this seeming contradiction to the nature of God. So until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh. Keep it fresh.